Topper, topper, she had a Topper, topper, she had a My name is Runa Wilkie and I am Marit Felt. So I was always dead interested in, in stretching what I can do with, with Amish music. So for me, I think it was inev inevitable that I was going to do fusion because I've grown up as a Swedish person in Norway and so I've never really been at home anywhere. You know, when I'm in Norway, I'm Swedish. When I'm in Sweden, people see me as Norwegian. So I was never going to be like the authentic voice of anything. Um, I am certainly Scottish. Um, you know, I sound Scottish in my English. I sound Scottish in my Irish. I sound blooming Gaelic when I speak Swedish. Like, it's just so Scottish, so Scottish. Um, and um, my fiddle playing is the same. I mean, I always played. Highland style music. And so then I started studying over here, which was more a coincidence than anything. But again, people could hear the Scandinavian music in the way I was playing, just naturally. I quite um, strongly feel that the Highlands is quite often seen as this the biggest wilderness in Europe. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it the. You know, look at all the stags and all of that sort of thing, this romantic tripe. Um, it's very beautiful, you're right, it's totally stunning, but you can't eat the view. I see music and language as a very, very similar thing, and let's talk about English now, because that's the language we have in common. Uh, I love hearing foreign English. The mistakes that someone might make tells a lot about their original language, and I feel like it's the same with the music. When I play with Rona, I'll teach a tune from a small village in Sweden, right? There's no point in me trying to make it to help her sound like a person from that small village in Sweden because there's going to be someone in that small village in Sweden who's going to do that a million times better. So what is more interesting to me is like with this tune and with a few ideas of uh, stylistic things that they do there, what will this then sound like from a Scottish player like Rona playing it? Someone version once asked me if I lived near a beach in a mountain. And I was like, I do, and they were like, and then I turned around and I'm like, and look, we just got electricity last week. I like, really did you? And that that idea of like that we're all living in like 1604 drives me nuts. Um, and that Gaelic is this language of the past completely drives me nuts. Um, so I'm just really interested in expanding. <laughs> it, I've been quite obvious. Like I play Gaelic music and I sing Gaelic and I play high music, but I also work within these other things too. I absolutely appreciate um, and think it's necessary that we have tradition bearers who can be like, yes, in this village we play like this way, and, but that's just not, I've never been interested in that. I mean, people meet, they have sex and they get married and have babies and make music at the wedding and at the christening. I mean, <laughs> what's surprising about music being something that's international? It's just completely like, is completely based to anyone's um, culture. Um. I play something called a 
Nordic mandola is my main instrument, but I kind of play whatever, whatever's kicking around. <laughs> and I, I play, I play violin or fiddle um, and sing as well. I'm also a dreadful piano player. <laughs> um, but Mark, you play violin too, just a bit. Yeah, I don't perform professionally with the oh. violin, but because I'm surrounded by all these amazing fiddle players, mm-hmm. there's just no need for me to do it. We we play as a duo, um, and then we also um, have a band called Us Crow Flies, which is two Norwegian girls. Um, we work a lot together, yeah. Um, not just as a duo, but in other projects. Yeah. So there's that, and then we work with a Swedish and a Norwegian. Yeah. Another duo actually, the project Ekted, um, is a, a Swedish-Norwegian duo, and our duo coming together, um, working only with new music. Uh, our own compositions. Our own compositions. Yeah, and um, so we mainly work in fusion. Um, yeah, I so Crowflies is probably kind of the purest fusion. Yeah. Way. We went through some friends, a friend of mine was living with Marit for a while, um, we were flatmates at university, and then... We did a thing called Ethno together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know more about Ethno than I do, Marit. So Ethno is this... Um, <laughs> it's like a world music camp, I suppose, uh, for um, youth between the ages of 16 to 25 from all across the world. And rather than having like teachers teaching them, they all have workshops and teach each other. Uh, tunes and songs. And we we from, get together in delegations from countries. Yeah. And I studied in Newcastle. Where I went in after I'd finished my undergraduate and we started playing. Uh, yeah, and it yeah. all st- starts really there. Yeah. Uh, it's about six years ago. Yeah, and then I um, uh, wanted to move back up to Scotland um, after I'd finished my master's. Um, and Mark was wanting to move up to. Um, and so I said I wanted to move to New- um, Edinburgh tomorrow. I was like, okay, I'll go to Edinburgh. And that was that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I had won a big competition at Celtic Connections um, called the Young Traditional Musician of the Year, BBC Young Traditional Musician of the Year. And on the same evening, our duo had won a competition at Celtic Connections as well um, called the Danny Kyle Award. So we just basically overnight had a career that we didn't realise we had in Scotland, but that was nice. It was really funny when Rona won that competition, because she entered the competition as both a fiddle player and a singer, and the same with, with our jewel. and about like five days before she just completely lost her voice. Yeah, so I had to do it all as a fiddle player, so I can't actually remember much of that weekend. I'm not from having drunk too much, just mainly just from being, having been so <laughs> ill. Um, I remember just before going on stage in this concert thing, this would be hilarious if I won. And then I won, I was like, what? <laughs> it was so weird. I've spent a lot of time in Estonia and I have friends in Estonia and my friend um, in South Estonia sent me an email at the beginning of this year saying do you want to come and play at this festival? Yeah of course, of course, I'd love to come and do that and uh, we asked her can you also organise some like school concerts just so we make a little bit of money when we're there, that's fine and then about one week before we were due to travel uh, she just gets in touch and says, So, have you learned compulsory song yet? 
And I'm like, what? <laughs> what compulsory song? And then, oh, for competition. Like, what? what? And by this point, we were actually in the middle of a rehearsal in Norway and with another project. And we were just like, what? So it turns out that this festival, what she'd forgotten to mention is that the reason we were basically invited, we were doing a concert, but we were there for a competition. And the whole <laughs> festival is basically everyone does the same version of the song. And it's actually a really good way, I think, to kind of... Estonia is a really interesting place. They're kind of undergoing the folk revival right now. And so to get some of these more obscure songs, they take... Every year they have a different song that's a bit unknown. So um, so it turns out she wanted us to sing this Estonian song in, in Gaelic. Gaelic. And not only was it was it Estonian, it was a song. She was there. She was quite specific about it. She was like, "Rona, are you sing this song in your language?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, and not only in Estonian, <coughs> it's South Estonian. <coughs> From what I can understand, it's a little bit to normal Estonian as Scotsist to to English. So we had to get a South Estonian person to translate it first to English and then into Gaelic mm -hmm. and we were like you know what this will work about the competition let's like make something that we feel works for us we're gonna have to spend some time on this so let's make it something good that we can use mm -hmm. and yeah we won <laughs> it was so bizarre we made it into a walking song which is a in a type of song that's particularly prevalent in Scotland for for using um, the kneading of the tweed um, so all the women in the, in the, the village would get together and then they would walk um, the tweed, um, W-A-U-K-L-K, and it meant that they would hit the tweed all day on, on a table. And they would have this horrible concoction of um, piss, basically, and water. Um, and, and they would cover it on this, and what it would do is it would set the dye and strengthen the tweed. Um, and um, they had these songs, and it was a fantastic opportunity for women just to be women. Um, and there's quite a few actually just now where there's a big conversation going on um, in Scotland just now about the Jacobite exhibition that's just um, arrived at the National Museum of Scotland and this Jacobite um, exhibition <laughs> doesn't talk about Gaelic um, at all and the absolute decimation of Gaelic culture that came after the Jacobite rebellions. What is interesting is there's been a lot of talk about the, the, what the opportunity missed here and one of the major opportunities is talking about women's culture and um, because there are some fantastic um, walking songs which were, were composed in the years um, just after the Jacobite revolution um, where they are using the tweed as a metaphor um, and, and the walking of the tweed as a metaphor um, to continue um, the, the rebellions in the Jacobite cause mm -hmm. and, and as a, a massively secret way of passing information from town to town. They're doing it through women's realm. Isn't it interesting how when we're talking about this it's so hard to dodge politics? It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is, that's pretty regular actually. Yeah. In Scotland? Uh, in general. <laughs> in general. Yeah, I think everybody is political and what I don't appreciate is when people say oh, I'm just doing it for something apolitical. No, no. Part of, part of your decision is political at all times whether you realise it or not and by realising it and saying it then you're being honest and I think honesty is absolutely key to any appreciation that I have in anyone's music. Um, and yeah, honesty is really important. Um, 
It's interesting, one of the guys that I was working with, French Basque, one of the very, very important Basque musicians, and it's not really a surprise that he's French Basque because he was able to play Basque music um, from quite a young, young age. Um, but that's, it's, that is an extremely political act uh, in the Basque country, um, which meant I got on quite well with them. Because <laughs> it is, it's very political here too, um, especially working in fusion as we with, are. And with Gaelic. And with Gaelic and with Scandinavia to be doing that. Um, and that's not the only reason that we're doing it, but no. working with Gaelic and with Scandinavia and with Ireland um, and now me with the Basque country, I mean, that's small nations working together. It's quite a political statement. Um, people are always quite surprised when they come to Scotland how much we talk about politics mm -hmm. yeah. and how often people that don't talk about politics in other countries talk about politics yeah. here. And also the whole connection with Norway has, has been, I think it's something that's been more and more revisited now with the recent Scottish independence debate. Uh, Pro-independence uh, people, which like ourselves, mm -hmm. we will look towards countries like Norway who's been independent since 1905 oil rich there's like a lot of parallels there mm. and uh, there is a tie between the country yeah culturally culturally yeah. Mm -hmm. i think most musicians or well-known musicians that people listen to are quite anti-war and i would put myself in that category i i'm not actually as anti-war as most of my friends are um but i think that it part of this it's kind of the folk revival is quite anti-war you know it's quite hippie um whereas actually if you look into the songs a lot of them are war songs and they are about um justice i think um this whole jacobite going back to the jacobites or going back to land war or or even into into clan wars i mean there's some quite gruesome gruesome songs within the tradition that i work like blood drinking songs for instance which is uh, a thing that you would do after um, a fallen um, soldier um, on a battlefield and makes you think about war and, and what the connotations of war is and um, my phd is looking at political song um, but rarely are, to be honest with you, um, are Gaelic songs used um, in any historical source, in my opinion, we're going through. Um, we haven't had post-colonialism um, movement in Scottish history, just hasn't come yet um, properly. Um, so we're still using English sources um, to tell the story of Gaelic people. It's kind of nuts. Um, but even when they are used, people aren't using, they're looking at them as poems. And these are not poems. These are songs. Very high level um, poetry in them. But they are songs. And I think it's very important to look at the intent of the melody. And what the tune means is just as important um, as what the words say. It's just harder to work out what on earth it means to the people at the time. My idea of something nice and sweet might not be that the idea of someone else's a um, hundred years previous. I mean, pink used to be seen as a manly colour, and now we don't. And I think it's the same with melodic constructions, is that our idea of what something means melodically doesn't necessarily transport itself onto what someone else is a hundred years ago. That's where professional practice comes in. It's really important that you can sing these songs. What does this song mean? If you sing them in front of an audience, what is your audience reaction to that and can you garner information from that? So it's really hard to, 
to be able to even start writing about it. Song is so important, um, but I think we have to remember that traditional music isn't all anti-war. It, it isn't at all, um, even though most of us are. A lot of English folk musicians that didn't get what was going on in the folk scene in, in Scotland um, to, to do with um, independence. And some of them were quite derisive about it and some, and some were just like, we just don't get it. What are you playing at here? And it's interesting since Brexit and, and a lot of them are very connected into this internationalism and, and multiculturalism idea. They get it now. Um, they, they get what on earth um, we're, we're talking about. Um, and it's interesting, some of them I feel are, quite, are, are really becoming active in the way that we did in, in Scotland um, and others don't really know what to do with them. And I guess that happened here too. I think they're now a bit more comfortable about just, about just talking about politics on stage. Um, and when, I think it was 2012 or 2013, on the, on the run up to the independence referendum, a lot of musicians were quiet and, and eventually we all got together and, and basically decided together that we were going to talk about it together. Because if they want to sack someone who talks, they can't sack all of us. They've got to have, you know, if you want to have a, a, a festival run, you're going to have, and you don't want anyone to talk about politics, we decided that that wasn't going to be an option. That basically we were all going to talk about politics. Um, and I think that's happening in England as well. I'm really pleased to see that. Um, it's always been quite political, the folk scene. In England. I mean, the problem is, isn't it, with a lot of politics now, is this trying to go back to what it used to be. But that's what folk music is. And if you have like someone, um, a folk singer, saying, well, actually, <laughs> I don't agree with that anymore. It's such a good ambassador good ambassador for this in more progressive cause um, and, and there's a thing in England that doesn't really exist so much in Scotland because it's not a force here but folk against fascism and about disallowing disallowing the hard right to appropriate folk music there and you have that in Sweden yeah there. it's just not really a this hard right thing just doesn't exist in Scotland it does exist but it but doesn't it's exist. Not... It's one percent or two percent. Yeah, yeah. It's a different fight. Yeah. The fight is independence. Yeah. 
love singing angry songs um, and I, I love the raw emotion in them like a lot of there's a song that we do called Show of Leona and um, it's about it's a non-flowery language song there's a lot of flowery language in Gaelic but it's about the death of of several members of our family and, and what I really like about that is the stripped back emotion in it and that these angry songs these war songs have that same stripped back I am furious and I'm going to tell you why and you and you can just get some sort of direct channel um, through that and I, I love that rather than talking about the landscape that just doesn't really fall into my <laughs> my preference um, and what I choose to, to, to do um, artistically. Um, I love it when someone else does it, but um, there's some sort of attraction to me in these. I guess because I'm so politically minded about Scotland right now, it's really cool to be able to see other people doing it uh, who are my cultural ancestors. It's really mental, it's brilliant. We have a, a lot of strong women in women's songs. And I'm not an expert in women's songs, but Mila um, Maravashk is a really good one, um, which is made a thousand curses. Mila Maravashk, yeah, Mila Maravashk is good. A thousand curses on 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 the love, and she basically goes through a list um, of all the different people she doesn't want to marry, um, and that she wants to marry the person that she wants to marry. Basically, she wants to marry her love. But there's also another song which um, we use as well. It's another walking song, which is probably not um, a surprise, really. Um, which is about an attempted rape um, in a shealing up, up, up in the mountains. A shealing is where um, young women would go and look after the, after the, the, um, the cattle in the, in the summer. Uh, an attempted rape up there and um, it's quite a mystical song but um, she hits him with um, with her, her belts and throws him off the mountain um, and um, she it's, it's not it's not mystical in the same ways that you would quite often find in, in English language songs it's pretty practical she talks about the way that she hits them you know and the interesting thing about that song is this, the version that I sing um, is a, a Kate Breton version um, where actually it will have been sung by men um, because walking, the walking tradition transferred from being a female tradition to a male tradition um, in Cape Breton. So there's no concern, obviously, with the men singing this song um, about, about a woman um, getting rid of this assault. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a lot of those in, in Gaelic. Um, I think the Bardic... Um, the... Songs um, in Gaelic are, are quite unique. Um, in some ways, almost in this, almost like a, a classical tradition um, of the bard being the keeper of the history, yeah. um, and there being bardic schools. And some of the very earliest anti-Gaelic um, legislation is about the power of these bards. Um, and the clan chief would have a bard, and and the bard would be there to talk about you know what, how great the clan chief is, but also to be as a representative of the people. Very complicated in um, position in society, and an extremely 
an extremely important one. Um, and women, there are class, there were these bardic schools, and there is at least two women that I know of who were classical bards for 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 clan chiefs. So they were taken upon merit of coming out of these class, of, of these classical bardic schools as being better than their male counterparts. Marivor was amazing. And then later on, Marivor, who's one of the most subjects of my PhD. She um, seemed like the coolest lady yeah. ever. So she's 19th century, um, and she was a widow. She was cleared off Sky quite early um, in, in the 1830s, I think. Um, she was widowed, um, and then she got a job where she was accused of, of stealing. Um, this is in Inverness, and she was illiterate. We know she was illiterate and a non-English speaker, um, and a member of the Free Church as well, which is the non-established church. Mm. Um, she was put in jail, um, having gone through this this I guess kangaroo court, get, given that the the court was in English and she couldn't speak English. Um, she was only put in jail for a small amount of time, um, but there she started to compose songs, um, and she eventually became, over several different things, she became the, the, the Gaelic voice, or one of the major Gaelic voices, against, um, against the landlords. Um, and in, 1880, in the 1880s, um, the, the franchise was extended to, to small um, land on, landholders, which was majority of men in Highlands. Um, and their first ever vote, they managed to vote in every single Highland MP was Emma Crofter's MP, which is pretty radical um, politics for the time, um, and very politically aware to be able to do that. And um, my argument is the only reason that they're able to be this politically aware is because they're so used to talking about politics and communicating about politics through song, and um, given that they didn't write. And why would you write if you've got a thousand-year history of not writing? Why on earth would you? Um, especially if you can't write in your first language, which if they could write, they couldn't write in English, um, in Gaelic. Um, and Marivore, I think, is absolutely amazing that she became this huge voice as a widow, as a criminal, it's as wonderful. an illiterate woman, became friends with these MPs down in Westminster and became basically their propaganda artist. Um, and she was sent from A to B, espousing the opinions um, of the land, the land cause. Um, kind of an amazing lady, um, and she's a direct line from these women, and you know, talking about Jacobite causes in around the, the walking table, and and their their ancestors of, of being in clan bards like Myra did Neil Machen, who who was the clan bard for Maclean, um, and she was buried upside down under a cairn, um, a depressed cairn in the ground, so that, because she was seen as a witch, but they were only able to do this after she died, you know, because <laughs> she was so good. And uh, another one up in Lewis as well, um, Marini and Alistair Ruig, um, MacLeod clan bard, also buried as a witch, but not burned as a witch, died, and then all of the, the men went, okay, this lady was just too talented, she must be a witch. But her talents were able to show and shine um, through her, her life, and we still sing her songs today. Yeah. Um, so women have quite an important place, and obviously men are more important politically uh, in the Gaelic world, and have been historically. But but I think probably more women have shone through than is ordinary uh, than in most cultures. Yeah.
we do take a long time to try and assimilate so it doesn't sound completely awful I mean mm-hmm. sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know sometimes you hear a, cl- a classical player playing a reel and you're just like no that's yeah. terrible it's not not what it's about it's about getting trying to get the the, the underlying rhythms mm-hmm. and and tonality and all of that things so we're it's not, not about ignoring piss. all no, the it's being very respectful but I'm not going to sound Swedish mm-hmm. the only time mm-hmm. I've ever feel like I've actually anywhere got anywhere close to that was in a trio that we do with him. Um, this um, band has crow flights where the three of us play a lot in unison. Um, There's a set with just the fiddles. Just three fiddles. And I've worked really hard to sound bang Norwegian in there mm. um, so that it doesn't sound weird. And I think I've got it. Mm. I sound Norwegian. Would you be able to do it on your own? Probably not. No. I need to be within these, this trio of just exactly the same bowing. Basically just... Basically just... I've got this same... Um, basically what I do is I watch one of the girls who, um, and I just copy everything, absolutely everything. She said it was really weird actually, because she could, she was watching my bow, and um, uh, hear, uh, but hearing her fiddle, she was like, it's so weird, because I could see your hand doing what I was doing. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like this kind of like motion sickness, because yeah. I was copying her so exactly. Um, but that's not me, that's her. I'm just channeling her. I'm not becoming me, and that's what it needs in that one one plate, um, that's exactly what we need. Um, but most of the time I want to sound like me uh, as a, a modern Highland player, you know, within the context and of I don't world think, music. I don't think that I necessarily think <clears throat> that I'm always so aware of... If I play with a Spanish musician, I don't think that I go in with the intent of like, let's do Scandi, Scottish. Spanish fusion. No, it's for me. It's a meeting with that person, mm-hmm. and whatever influences that person has, and the influences that I have. Yeah. And traditional music isn't quite tied to place as it used to be, because mm-hmm. it's not like everyone from so plays fiddle in Scotland plays Scottish fiddle music. There's lots of Irish players. There's mm-hmm. lots of people into French music, into Balkan, you know. Mm-hmm. I think as well if you listen to. Um, modern Irish and modern Scottish tunes that have been composed mm-hmm. recently. The what makes it Scottish is the player, and what makes it Irish is the player, not the composer. There's no structural difference in that mm-hmm. at all, uh, really. Uh, when you when you in not in contemporary tunes. No. In contemporary tunes, that's yeah. what I mean. And absolutely, there is um, within the style um, of playing. So if I were to hand someone a Scottish tune, which and they're Irish. Um, you know, I composed last year or whatever, they would make it Irish and if they were to do it the other way around, I would make it Scottish I mean, the melody form is exactly the same, basically yeah. um, it's not the same It's not the same within within um, the older forms yeah. I think perhaps within the song tradition its place is clearer in some ways, but then the stories have travelled. Parts of the west coast of Norway would have had more links to Scotland yeah. than the part of Norway where I'm from, which is the east, because Actually, there's mountains in between yeah. me and there. Actually, the, the, um, the Gaelic for Norway is um, in Nerevi, which means the Norways, or the Norway. We have quite a complicated naming system for countries, but you quite often have like this the with places in Gaelic, but it's mostly they make sense, like the Germany, because Germany's quite recently unified, or the Italy, because Italy's quite recently unified, or whatever, the Spain. Well, let's be honest, Spain's not really a country that should be unified. But Norway is kind of an odd one, isn't it? Because it's 
it's been a country for a very long time and I think it just shows this closeness of relations of being trading partners basically and them all coming from a collection of different places. Oh it's been an idea of a country for a very long time. Yeah. It hasn't been an independent country for a very long yeah, time. Yeah but I think the, but the idea has been there. Yeah. 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 So there's certainly big connections between Norway and Scotland and there can hardly fail to be given how close they are to each other. The the sea would have been something that connected these countries not but separated them. So I mean along the coast you find um uh, in Norway and Sweden you find you have Norwegian reels for instance and some of them are like you know um, sol- um, Soldish Joy for instance you know Soldish Joy mm-hmm. yeah which comes from an old Scottish student called um, Lord MacDonald's reel no it depends on who you ask because yeah. they also have it in Germany yeah. and you know but that's I mean someone has actually written a PhD about that so yeah. <laughs> you can, that is a that is a but um and then, of course, they've taken this tune format and made it their own. So then you get these quirky Norwegian reels that, you know, a tune can have like, the eight part can have seven bars, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And then, of course, in Sweden, you have the same type of tune. It's just, we actually, that tune type is called engelska, which means an English. In, in Scotland, they're so used to everything kind of divided by four. Yeah, everything has been really quite cleaned up in Scotland in mm. some ways. Um, there is a fantastic collection, which is quite un. It, it was lost for a long time, basically, and it meant that it couldn't go through the clean-up act of putting things in fours and all of this sort of thing. But I, I think there is there is certainly um, big similarities between the two. Um, and one I think is interesting is Pibarach, um, which is this classical piping um, form of having... It's a theme of variation, but it's it's that's um, very much prescribing some classical tech, you know, um, theory onto it basically it's like nine or ten or twelve notes or whatever long this urlar which means floor and then they have a theme and this is the theme and then the, the variation involves just grace notes and the development of grace notes and it's quite organic and it's really connected into into wider um legend and that sort of thing and it's quite similar to west coast um, Hardanger, some, Norwegian yeah, some fiddling. of the kind of big tunes that you have in the Haranger fiddle tradition. Now, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but the most famous tune we have is called Fani Tullen, which is uh, the devil's tune, which of course you almost any tradition has the devil's tune. And um, lots of variations of it, and there's a story connected to it, that there are songs connected to it. Um, I mean, it's one, it's, it's such a famous tune that part of it is now like a football chant which I think is like epitome of uh, famous for a folk tune isn't it yeah uh, and I think th- that kind of when you've been talking about Pibroch it kind of reminds me of that whole kind of wider thing surrounding the the, the tune not just the tune there's I mean, stories it's there's absolutely poetry there's yeah and the, the motif based thing it's mm-hmm. not at all classical it's quite they're both in within within their two traditions something quite apart but remarkably similar for not having anything to do with each other mm-hmm. and that could be just because they're really early or it could be because they're geographically close to each other probably a bit of both mm-hmm. um and both quite isolated um geographically from big centres of cultural power. I'm a little bit worried, mainly because people are more and more expecting music to be free. 
and this sort of music unfortunately needs time it needs time and it needs money because you can't like as much as i wish i could do stuff for free i need to pay the rent and with spotify and all this and people not buying records don't use spotify (laughs) yeah i'm quite worried about that actually um same with concerts people will complain about ticket prices yeah and you're just like ticket price hasn't gone up in 15 years but what places have? I'm not sure. I think it depends on the context. I think um, within Scotland, it's quite an important place right now. Um, it's very popular. Um, traditional music is very popular. Um, probably the second most popular genre in Scotland after pop and rock, you know, this popular music. Um, it's also quite culturally important, I think, as well, because there's just so much fusion going on to at different levels, you know, just someone nicking a tune from here and, and just chucking it in um, or or um, quite commercial or, or whatever it is or what we do which is quite hardcore fusion um, but it kind of shows where the Scottish or at least the young Scottish public is at um, regarding um, multiculturalism and I, I think it also shows a bit of cultural confidence and I, I kind of feel that if you're willing to f*** around with your tradition then you're pretty confident that your tradition is fine. And if you're looking to preserve your tradition and to play things as they once were played, then that's, I think, showing a little bit of more worry about, about where your, your tradition is at and the importance of it and, and um, whether it can withstand massive change. Um, whereas in Scotland, you have people like me who basically work full time and around with tradition shouldn't swear because it's an american thing oh no it's yeah. fine uh, <laughs> with messing around with a, with a tradition and then you have people who are not um who are not um doing that at all and they're extremely good players in, in whatever they whatever they do so you have both things going on at once um I, I think i trust the people who don't do what i do to be the gatekeepers of of the tradition and and to to really look into old music and all of that sort of thing, which I do myself to a certain extent, but maybe not not what they not to the same extent as what they do. Um, and it gives me the freedom to go and do what I do. Um, I trust them and they trust me I hope anyway. I think they do. Oh I, I know that a lot of them do. Um, and and people listen to it and I, I think that if you have a strong music scene like this uh, and, and we all work as teachers or whatever as well. I mean, you can't make your living very well, very easily from just being a musician. It's almost impossible to get a loan, for instance. So most of us do a bit of teaching or whatever, as well as touring. Um, but to be able to teach, you need to have the people to teach. You know, um, you've got to be able to, there's demand and supply in that as well. And then, yeah, when it comes to music, I think that Scottish music is in a pretty exciting place. You have people like Scott um, Gardner, who is a very traditional singer, uh, and I absolutely adore what he does. Uh, and then equally, you have people who are right on the edge of things, uh, like Martin Bennett, who's unfortunately um, died. But Nightworks. Nightworks. These these um, Highland fans are taking 
taking stuff and putting it into dance fusion, for instance. And some of the stuff they come out with is absolutely superb. Um, Mark Bennett took samples from the Bosnian War and made it into drum tracks. And what what a, what an unbelievable um, thing to do, you know. And uh, but was using that as the background to Jacobite songs and. Um, I think it says quite a lot about where Scotland is culturally um, and where we are politically and this idea of the Scottish cringe which is quite a strong idea that if you ever look it up you'll find many right wing or, or, or right wing people or, or actually left wing unionists as well talking about Scottish cringe and this small small country unable to do anything I think the music industry holds up a light to that and shows it for the falsehood that it is um, people sing in their own accent and they do what they want to do with their own music and they're proud of it and that's pretty cool no problem <laughs> <laughs>